don't think anyone can argue the fact that we live in a divided world. A world with differences and walls and barriers between us. And unfortunately, as you look on Facebook, listen to the TV, radio, wherever you choose to look, the debate is over truth. People find themselves talking past each other, not willing to listen or discuss honestly because they feel what they are stating is true and what everyone else is stating is false. And part of the problem is that we have come to a very different views on truth. We are greatly divided over what the central idea that shapes us, forms us, and defines us on how we live should be. I mean, if you just look at these statements for uh, as we look at our own country, is our country, is our divining truth that we are a beacon of freedom and compassion for the whole world seeking to help those who are suffering and struggling? Or is it that we are the world's only remaining superpower able to exert our will wherever and whenever we please? Is our defining truth that we are increasingly diverse people and that that diversity is our strength? Or is it that we are people who insist that everybody conform to the same ideals as long as they are in line with mine? And so what this ultimately leads to is us seeking out our quote-unquote own truth. And as I even think about that, I'm I'm drawn to Genesis 4, where we hear the story of Cain and Abel. And at the very beginning, it says, Adam knew his wife, and they conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. And next she bore his brother, Abel. Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain was a tiller of the ground. And so just by being born, uh, Cain is living into a privilege. He's, he's got that first born thing. He's the, got the birthright. He is the one that is in, on, in par to inherit everything just because he was born in the right place at the right time. And now I do want to explain this idea of privilege because to me, the best way you can explain it is it's like one of those moving walkways at the airport. That if you get on one of those and you stand still, you're still moving on par by doing no work. You're still moving on par with those people walking next to you that are not on one. But if you choose to do any work, you are moving twice as fast, twice as far, and the other people must do twice the work to get where you are. Just because of where you have found yourself located. And this is what privilege is. That we have found ourselves by no doing of our own in a place where we are able to move faster, more efficiently than the other because of a birthright that we have. And so what we begin to see throughout the text that we're going to jump back into in a minute is that because of his privilege going unchecked, Cain begins to live with a sense of pride. Believing that he deserves and he's earned all of this privilege. And he begins to be very self-centered and self-centric. And as we jump back into the text, we hear that in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit from the ground. And Abel, for his part, brought the firstlings of his flock and their fat portions. 
And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offerings, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. And so what we begin to see is that pride and privilege have led to a sense of entitlement for Cain. Cain brings his offering to God and God doesn't receive it, but he does receive his brothers and Many people would say, well, that's because Abel's was of a higher quality, and that may be true, but I also believe that there's something else going on because we hear about Cain growing angry, and there, I think this is because Cain has adopted a transactional belief of sacrifice. He says, if I do my part, then you do yours, God. I sacrifice and you owe me. And this is shown through an ancient Babylonian text that I came across that says, every day, worship your God. Sacrifice and benediction are the proper accompaniment of incense. Offer him daily and God will give you your reward. So as he brings his offering, Cain's going, I've done my part, you do yours. But what he comes to find out is God, big G God, is different. So we can kind of understand Cain's anger because he has bought into the incorrect truth He believes that I did my part, so I'm entitled to this blessing. God, give me what I deserve. But God, as we see, cares more about the heart of the sacrifice and not what is in the sacrifice. And we hear this as we dive in and begin to look. The Lord says to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. This is that statement that my mom used to always tell me, just act right. God's going, why are you upset? Just do right. Do what is right. But Cain's pride and privilege have led to the sense of entitlement that he doesn't He doesn't see what he's doing is wrong. He just says, I did my part. You do yours. You owe me, God. And so this posture of privilege and pride and entitlement begins to lead him to this idea. And in verse 8, we hear the truth that we all come to know that Cain said to his brother Abel, let us go out to the field. And when they were there, Cain rose up against his brother and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? So we begin to see Cain acting out and he's, and and it goes to the idea of murder. But then we hear him ask, where is your brother? And he pleads ignorance. He refuses to acknowledge his own doing in this death. He pleads ignorance of his own sin and his brokenness. And this is that we see this lived out in our current world where we look at this idea and go, it's always someone else's fault. I didn't do something wrong. If they wouldn't have done that, this wouldn't have happened. They did this to themselves. And we close our eyes, and if we don't see it, then it isn't there. And now I could go on to say that that is unto itself evidence of privilege, that we have the ability to close our eyes and act like things aren't happening. But what we also see is Cain acting out of a sense of apathy. When he says, am I my brother's keeper? It's just dripping with sarcasm. He's saying, my brother, the shepherd, the one that watches and cares for the flock, does he need his own shepherd? Does he need someone to watch and care for him? Am I my brother's keeper? Cain is asking God, does the the caregiver need a caregiver? 
And this is from the and this is the birth of what we have seen taking place in our current culture, which is this idea of radical individualism. That these are their issues, not mine. That if it doesn't affect me, I don't have to worry with it. It's only about me. I'm, and if it doesn't bother me, then I don't have to deal with it. And what we see is that privilege, pride, and entitlement have led to ignorance and apathy. And when these go left unchecked, this leads to oppression and even death. Notice that God never really answers Cain's question of, am I my brother's keeper? And I think this invites us in. I think first you could say, yes, absolutely, and that's why it doesn't answer, because it's the most ridiculous question. But I think it also invites us into how would we answer the question? Are you your brother's keeper? And I think most of us, as we've stated, would say, of course I am. I'm called to care for others and care for those around me. But let's take it a step deeper. What if I said, are you living in a posture of privilege? Privilege being defined as a special right, advantage, or immunity granted or, granted or available to a particular group. We must admit that privilege exists. This is not up for debate. And if you deny that privilege exists, as we talked about earlier, you're living in a world of willing, willful ignorance and apathy. And the fact that you can deny that privilege exists shows your very privilege. We look around our world, we th see things like racial privilege, gender privilege, nationality privilege. And if you don't notice these privileges, as we've said, odds are this is because you are privileged enough to have the ability to turn a blind eye, to not acknowledge. So first off, we must answer, am I living in a posture of privilege? Second question is, am I living in a posture of pride? Pride places us in the center of everything. And everyone else goes to the side. It's all about me. As we hear through the scriptures, God is love. But when we live in an idea of pride, we are living with a sense of ego, or as I've heard it said, ego stands for edging out God. So pride and love cannot coexist. Love is about community, but pride is about me, and it's about how I am better than everyone else. It's not about community. It's about disunity. So the third question is, am I living in a posture of entitlement? And for many of us, we hear this and go, I'm not entitled. Well, let me ask you this. Let me put it to you this way. Have you ever found yourself driving down the road and frustrated, yelling at the car going in front of you that is going the speed limit because you need to go get somewhere quicker? Because your time frame is more important than theirs. Have you ever found yourself upset because the free Wi-Fi in the library or, or the coffee shop or wherever is too slow for you? I mean, we understand this sense of entitlement. As a matter of fact, sadly, it became laughable to the extent that I, I don't know if it still is a thing, but I can remember that there used to be a hashtag on Twitter that was entitled First World Problems. And it looked at the idea of when we complain that it takes too long for our microwavable food to get done or when you have to wait a little extra and to drive through. And all these things that are first world problems that if we didn't live in first world country, that we would have so much bigger issues thinking about the idea of not how fast we're going to get our food, but if we're going to get our food. 
See, what the story of Cain and Abel is warning us against is that our privilege, pride, and entitlement can lead us to ignorance and apathy. And if we're not careful, we can find ourselves walking through this progression of oppression. It shifts us from, am I bro- from being our brother's keeper to being our brother's killers. And this is why God points Cain to the idea of check yourself. If you just do what is right, if you just do well, everything will be okay. And in verse 7, we see that we are called to realize what is going on. You see, God, when he says do well, is pointing us to the reality. And I know he's talking to Cain, but we must realize that when we read the scriptures, it's also speaking to us. And what God is saying is let's just look at what's going on in our world. And we must acknowledge it in order to master it. If you you had a little bit of an infestation of bugs in your house and you don't acknowledge it, eventually you're going to be taken over. And so what he says is you must realize that acting this way is not right. As a matter of fact, if we're able to master it, that puts us above it. So acting this way is below what we are created to be. It's like a sneaking animal lurking in the shadows. And if it goes undetected, it can kill us. It can conquer us. It can take us over. But if we go out and we acknowledge where it is and acknowledge what it's doing, if we can catch it and control it, And what God is saying is don't let this conquer you, but you conquer it. And my friends, sadly, we have become to a place in our world for many of us that this idea of privilege, pride, and entitlement has moved past the idea of ignorance and apathy and has moved to oppression because we never acknowledged it lurking in the shadows and we have allowed it to conquer us instead of us conquering it. But... But the beauty of this story, the beauty of chapter 4 of Genesis is this, that all hope is not lost. In verse 25 and 26, Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another child instead of Abel, because Cain killed Abel. And to Seth also a son was born and named him Enosh. At that time, people began to invoke the name of the Lord. So we see that there's another son born. Another son rises, and he names his son Enosh, which translates to man or mortal. And and, and what we see in this is that Seth is acknowledging that there is a God and there is man, that there is God and there is man, and that we are not God, but we are man. And it's a turn from that religion that Cain had bought into a transactional religion, and it's a turn to relational religion. It's a shift from Cain's action of privilege, pride, and entitlement to a sense of gratitude for who God is, humility knowing that we are not God, and love of one another. We're shifting from privilege to gratitude, pride to humility, entitlement to love. And in Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, we hear a callback to Genesis 1 where we hear this. It says, 
This is the list of the descendants of Adam. When God created humankind, he made them in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them and he blessed them and he named them humankind. And when they were created, when Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth. So, notice first off who's not here. Cain. Because when we hear, Adam is created in the image of God. And Seth is the son that has come out and is bearing the image of his father. Seth, the one who is seeking gratitude, humility, and love, is in the image lineage. And this points to us to the reality, to the truth that privilege, pride, and entitlement will never move the story of humanity forward. Only gratitude, humility, and love can do that. And when we embrace that as our defining truth, it frees us from the lies that have kept us bound. Some of us bound for decades. And then we can also take that freedom and share it with the people around us, most of whom also have their own lives that have defined them and have kept them bound and chained because the lies that we begin to believe feed into our privilege, our pride, and our entitlement. And then, as we hear in John 15, 13, then we can become the kind of people who love one another like Jesus loved us by laying down our lives for our friend. Then we can begin to have real and authentic conversations. And then we can begin to be the people that we were created to be. Then we do not have to argue about what truth is because we begin to see that we are all created in the image of God and all are to be loved and cared for that we do not live in a world that, a, that we should seek privilege, pride, and entitlement, but that we should seek gratitude, humility, and love. That we should not find ourselves living in ignorance and apathy, but we should find ourselves seeking wisdom and compassion. That we do not find ourselves living in a world that is okay with oppression, but we find ourselves saying God calls us to be one and unified in love. We find ourselves being our brother's keeper and not our brother's murderer. Amen and amen.